0: Written by Mary Ann Olson, The Silverton Story explores the beginnings of Silverton, Colorado, and life there in the late 1800s. Reading this book reminds me of my road trip through the United States a couple of years back, during which I saw a lot of beautiful places. I hope you enjoy the book. My name is Teddy and I aim to help people everywhere get a good night's rest so they can have a productive day and achieve what they need to achieve. I read a different story every episode to help you get a good night's rest. Each episode is designed to listen to or play in the background as you slowly fall asleep. Special thank you to iTunes listeners corabell771, tessie777 and Sidrat for your iTunes reviews. I'm glad the podcast is helping you doze off and deal with a change in your work schedule. My goal with this podcast is to help people everywhere get the good night's rest that they need, but I do need your help to do this please jump into iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening, subscribe and leave a review. You would be surprised at how helpful this is. It's a really small thing, but does have a big impact. I'd also love to hear from you at boreyoutosleep.com. In the meantime, lie back, relax, and enjoy the ratings. The Silverton Story, by Mary Ann Olson. Silverton, with all its scenic splendor, nestles in a valley, nine thousand three hundred and two feet in altitude. It is surrounded by four mountain peaks, all of which rise above timberline. And are usually snow-covered the year round. Kendall Mountain to the east, Anvil Mountain to the west, Boulder Mountain to the north, and Sultan Mountain to the south. The highest of these peaks is Sultan, which rises to a dizzy height of thirteen thousand three hundred and thirty-six feet. Opposite this is Kendall, that juts skyward four thousand feet above the floor of the valley. Silverton is centred in the rugged, majestic San Juan Mountains, and nowhere in the nation is there another one hundred thousand square miles of such spectacularly scenic grandeur. One evening, a group of men were in a saloon discussing the possibilities of the San Juan. One fellow remarked, ''We have silver by the ton,'' and thus Silverton got its name. It is the only incorporated town in the county, and boasts not an acre of farmland. Silverton was at one time named Baker's Park after Charles Baker, who led a group of prospectors to this country in 1860 or 1861. There is no record of any permanent locations made, or of any quantity of mineral taken out, though there were indications of prospecting being done. As you can imagine, Baker and his party endured many hardships. Relics, broken wagon parts and some discarded camp equipment led to the belief the party came by way of Durango, thence to Cascade Creek, along the route of our present highway. From there they went to the west of Spud Mountain and kept fairly high, crossing Coal Bank Hill and following around the head of Lime Creek. After passing Lime Creek, they crossed the hills east of there and came down into the park by way of Bear Creek. There is a place on Bear Creek which shows they let their wagons down the hillside by means of a rope, as the stock was evidently unable to hold the wagons under control. Charles Baker had a narrow escape in 1862 near Eureka. One of the men organised a mutiny, crying out to Hang Baker, claiming he had deceived them. Baker heard of it and escaped. Otherwise, he would have met his fate at the hands of his own men. In 1868, Baker again set out from Denver for Silverton, as he still believed gold was there, and arrived in the San Juan in 1871. He was killed in this vicinity by the Indians shortly thereafter. Dempsey Rees, Miles T. Johnson, Adam French and Thomas Blair outfitted in Santa Fe and arrived in the San Juans in 1870. They were the first load prospectors as Baker and his party had been searching for placer gold no one wintered in Silverton during these years of 1870 to 1872. Dempsey Rees and his party, accompanied by William Mulholland and Francis M. Snowden, came back the following spring and this was the first record of any permanent discovery, namely the little giant gold mine located in Arastra Gulch. The load produced ore of such quantity and value as to warrant its being packed on Burros to Pueblo for processing. Samples of the ore showed from 400 to 900 ounces of gold per tonne. This rich ledge, which was treated by Arrastras was without a doubt the beginning of the future of the San Juans. The first quartz mill for the reduction of ore was built in 1873 for the use of the little giant mine. There were about 40 or 50 prospectors in the country by this time, but the year was 1873 and was a banner year for mining claims. More than 3,000 claims were recorded, and the population grew by several hundred. Many of the large producers were located in that year and in 1872, notably the Sunnyside, Shenandoah, Silver Lake and portions of the Gold King Group. Some of the Shenandoah claims have produced ore in considerable quantities each year since 1875. Within months after being married, Mr. Stoiber of Silver Lake Mine fame became one of the richest men in the state of Colorado. Two of Mrs. Stoiber's claims to fame were having four husbands and building the huge Stoiberhoff Mansion in Denver and the Silver Lake Mansion in Silverton. At her first home in Silverton, Mrs. Stoiber had an argument with her neighbour, so she eliminated him from her consciousness by building a towering wall around her property which completely cut off her view from him. Apparently, this action struck her fancy, for she was to repeat it. When Mr. Stoiber sold his mining interests to the Guggenheim family for a reported two and a half million dollars, he built the biggest, gaudiest and most lavish house in Denver. Stoiberhof was completed in 1906 and was filled with the most fabulous collection of obeys and art Denver had ever seen. Again in Denver, Mrs. Stoiber argued with the owner of the adjoining property and again she built a wall 12 feet high above and around her grounds. Edgbert W. Reed, the owner, armed himself with a court order, and for months the affair dragged through the courts. Mrs. Lena Allen Webster-Stuyber, Rude Alice died in Italy in March 1935. Few remember her, or the fact that her first fortune came from the Silverton area. San Juan County, in its entirety, was included in the grant to the Ute Indians in 1868. Three years later, When mining began to boom, the Indians protested against the whites coming into their territory. In 1872, troops were sent out by the government to keep the miners off this grant and in February 1873, an order was issued by the Department of the Interior warning all miners to vacate the land by June 1st. The troops had proceeded up to Rio Grande, a considerable distance when the order was suspended by the President, and a new treaty was made with the Indians, which was effected by paying Chief Ore, $1 million dollars the Utes surrendered some three million acres of land. In July 1873, while the Bruno Treaty was pending between the Ute Indians and the United States Government, for the lands of the reservation, when the great excitement over the rich and extensive mining broke out, Mr. Tower made arrangements with Jackson Foundry and the George Trick Hardware Company of Denver for the materials to erect a sawmill. This was shipped by the D&RG Railroad to Colorado Springs. There a contract was made with the freighters to deliver this to Silverton. The charges were 16 cents per pound. The journey to Del Norte was a pleasant one, but then the trouble began. From the south fork of the Rio Grande River, 16 miles above Del Norte to the headwaters of the stream, they forded the river 57 times The outfit consisted of three teams, ten persons and 6,000 pounds of freight. Only the old pioneers of the area can fully understand the trouble, dangers and hardships encountered in working freight over the mountains in those days. Two weeks after leaving Del Norte, they arrived at the present site of Howardsville. Aided by a number of miners, they were able, after a week of hard work, to get the wagons to Silverton. A location was made for the mill on Mineral Creek at the foot of Sultan Mountain, and here Mr Tower erected the first sawmill Mrs. Tower, a bride of nineteen from Chicago, accompanied the party and returned in the fall to Del Norte. Thus Mrs. Tower was the first white woman in Silverton. The first mercantile establishment in the county was a combined saloon and general merchandise store located at Howardsville. This was in 1874, and the post office in Howardsville was opened that same fall with W. H. Nichols as postmaster. Mrs. Nichols, Mrs. W. E. Earle, Mrs. John F. Cotton, and Mrs. H. F. Tower were among the first women in the county. Mrs. Merrill Dowd came a few weeks later, when the population of southern Colorado had grown to such an extent that a courthouse was necessary. Howardsville was the centre of the population, and therefore the logical site for the county seat of La Plata County. A small log building was erected and served the entire western slope, from the northern to the southern boundary, and from the San Luis Valley to the western line of the state. In the summer of this year, the county seat was moved from Howardsville to Silverton. The first store in town was called Green and Company, and Francis M. Snowden built the first cabin. It was located where the hospital now stands on the avenue that bears his name, and was the social gathering place of the town. All the noted personages who visited in the early days stopped here, and if the colonel as he was known had kept a register, it would be an interesting document today. Dances were held there, with John and Amanda Cotton furnishing the music. Also in 1874, a preliminary survey of the township was made by Thomas Tripp, and a complete survey was made that same year, By William Munro and J.M. Hanks As the streets came into being they were given names of the prominent pioneers of the 70s Green, Reese, Snowden, Blair, etc. The following year was a busy one The first white child in Silverton was born to Mr. and Mrs. Ben Harwood The child was named Frank, and lived here his entire life. Ben Harwood was quite a noted character in the early life of the San Juans. He was without a doubt a very strong and untiring man. It is an authenticated fact that for several winters, he packed the mail on snowshoes from Watson's Cabin, at the foot of the grassy hill, to Howardsville and Silverton, at the same time carrying from 50 to 60 pounds of beef on his back for the Highland Mary Mine. The La Plata Miner was the first newspaper with John R. Curry of Iowa as editor and owner. Several years later, the name was changed to The Silverton Miner, and since 1920, it has been called the Silverton Standard and the Minor. From 1874, it has never missed an issue. Still to be seen at the Standard Office is the old 1830 model hoe, original press which was used continually until a short time ago. A road barely passable from Watson's Cabin at Grassy Hill to Howardsville, and Silverton by way of Stony Pass was completed. The grade from Cabin to Timberline on this side of the pass was fairly good, but just below the Timberline was a short, steep pitch which often defied the brakes. Freighters would cut a fair-sized spruce tree and tie it on behind their wagons as a holdback over this pitch. When trees were no longer available, Squire W.D. Watson selected a solid stump at the top of the incline and lowered the wagons by means of snubbing a rope The price was $2.50 for about 200 feet, which made it pretty profitable. The summer travel was from 5 to 20 wagons daily. The freight rate at this time, from Del Norte to Silverton, was $30 a ton, and remained so until the coming of the Railroad. The first United States District Court was held in Silverton, with Judge Hallett presiding. It seems the same faces were appearing in the jury box, and the reason was the benches were so splintery they had to choose men who wore leather seats in their trousers, President Grant appointed J.M. Hanks as the first postmaster. For several weeks after the appointment, he could find no building suitable for a post office and carried the mail in his pockets and handed it out on the streets when he saw any of the addresses. Mail services were few and far between in the winter of 1875 and 76. Twice, Big Alec Fleming brought in on his back a load of mail from Del Norte, wearing snowshoes or skis nearly every foot of the way. Our first school was started this year. When the town was laid out, a lot of the corner of Snowdon Avenue and 11th Street had been set aside for school purposes. The school served as a church or for any public gathering and was a low log building. In 1887, the school record states that they had six visitors and 144 cases of tardiness. In 1879, the census shows 40 pupils between ages of 6 and 21, and by 1890, the school attendance was a total of 153. The start of the Durango-Silverton Road was made in 1875. A crude mountain road reached from the present side of Rockford for about 16 miles to the top of Coalbank Hill. Here the road ceased and the old ute trail was used by pack animals for the remaining 14 miles into Silverton. The old trail was used until about 1877 or 78, when a prospector with the help of others built a toll road up to the Animas Canyon. The road started north of Rockwood, crossed the site of what is now Lake Electra, then made a drop of 2,000 feet in a distance of one and a half miles to the bottom of the canyon. Here it crossed Cascade Creek at its junction with the Animas and continued up the river to Silverton, making many crossings along the way. A toll gate was located at the entrance to the canyon near the Champion Mine. There was also a toll gate at Baker's Bridge below Rockwood, and the fee was $3. Many parts of the old road can still be seen from the train. Otto Mears, known as the Pathfinder of the San Juan, laid out a system of toll roads through the San Juans, branching in all directions from Silverton, up the river to Eureka, and Anima's Forks over the Ophir Range, down the San Miguel River to the Dallas, across to Talarud, and again across to Rico and Rockwood, and from Silverton to Oray, 400 miles, mostly toll. Like networks, these roads were, and are, of untold benefits. In 1875, Mears was paid the grand sum of $600 for building a road up the Animas River from Silverton to Howardsville. Eureka! Animas Forks, and Mineral Point, apportioned as follows. Silverton to Howardsville was $150, Howardsville to Eureka was $150, and from Eureka to Mineral Point was $300. La Plata County was cut off from the San Juan County in 1876, and Silverton was incorporated. At that time, the town was said to have around 500 voters. The first meeting of the council was held, and among the board members was F. M. Snowden. After the division of San Juan and La Plata Counties, Our county was still of considerable size and in January 1877, Oray, San Miguel and a portion of Dolores Counties were set off, leaving San Juan at its present size. In 1877, Otto Mears built a road from Animas Forks to Lake City, most of the ore from the Poughkeepsie Gulch, Mineral Point and Anima's Forks was treated at Lake City. One of the oldest Masonic lodges in the state is the San Juan Lodge Number 33, AF and AM, which was organized in 1877. The organisation has had a remarkable life and is a strong factor in the community. The Congregational Church was organised in 1878. Although faced by many trials and tribulations, and at times lack of money, the church has managed to survive. The present church building was constructed in 1881, and A.P. Roberts was the pastor from 1878 to 1882. This same year, Charles Fisher, who built the brewery at Howardsville, moved it to Silverton and ran it for many years in the old stone building on the bank of Mineral Creek at the lower end of the town He built the Fisher Building on Green Street, which is the brick building occupied and owned for the past several years by the Maffey family, French Bakery. The building next to Maffey was the livery stables. The wagons and carriages were housed on the ground floor, and the horses were taken up a ramp and stabled on the second floor. The first record of lynch law was in August 31 of this year. The following is a report from a newspaper. About 2 o'clock in the morning of August 31, 1878, unknown parties entered the jail and took Henry Cleary, charged with the murder of James M. Brown and hung him on the ox-frame in the rear of the blacksmith shop on Upper Green Street. Silverton had become a town of considerable population by 1879, and fire protection became a necessity. A hook and ladder was ordered from Denver, and with news of its arrival at grassy hill at the head of the Rio Grande, Nearly half of the male population started for grassy on horseback and on burros. The hook and ladder, with all its equipment, was hauled to Howardsville, where it was met by another group who brought it into Silverton by hand. The Silverton Cornet Band led the group from Howardsville and that evening, a big celebration was held. At the old City Hall on Blair Street, next door to Swanson's Market, you can still see part of the old firefighting hose cart. Also two cells of the old county jail remained there. Patrick, better known as Cap Stanley opened the first brickyard at the foot of the hill between Reese Street and Walsh Smelter. He built the first two brick homes in Silverton, on the east side of Upper Green Street, and they are yet in very good condition. The bricks for the Grand Imperial Hotel were made in this yard. Cap was the leader of the vigilantes, and a bluff, stern person. The vigilantes did their work well, but at one time the town council, realising that matters were becoming serious, hired the famous Bat Masterson of Dodge City fame to clean up the town. Needless to say, he did. Fred Steiner secured a government contract for $10,000 to bring the mail to Silverton from Parrot City. This was known as the Star Route and was a daily schedule with three stops and three changes of horses each trip. Meals and sleeping quarters were provided for the passengers should they desire food or be forced to stay. There were long barns and all the stops, and care for the horses was provided it was not an unusual sight to see 100 to 150 pack animals turned out for grazing on the slopes of the hills. All went well during the summer, but winter was not so good. The carriers started in wagons, then later had to leave the wagons and use horses. Finally, when the snow got so deep at the stop below Silverton, a carrier by the name of Snyder would use his dog team and sled. He would pile the mail, general merchandise and supplies on the sled. Then he would perch himself on top of the load and be on his way. The sled was pulled by his huge black dogs that were both strong and savage. Snyder and his dog team also hauled water from the town in winter. He would fill six five-gallon oil cans, put them on the sled, and he turned his trusty dogs were off to deliver water at 50 cents a can. The dogs were also utilised at funerals when the snow was too deep for the heavier animals. Snyder took good care of his dogs, and after a hard trip, so the story goes, he would give each of them a drink of whiskey. And that concludes tonight's readings. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you're feeling drowsy. I look forward to bringing you another episode very soon. In the meantime, good night.